Welcome to episode 27 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty co-host... Jackson, the son, and guys, I have been absolutely listless this whole week up until this very moment. <laughs> we are typically a spoiler podcast, so be warned. And on this episode, we are discussing the last decade, 2010 to 2019, our best of and worst of the decade. So, first of all, Jackson, what do you think of uh, 2010 to 2019? I bring that up because some say we're living in the golden age of horror what do you think i would say that of the last couple years i would consider it a golden age of horror i think the the decade started out uh just about as good as the late uh 2000s you know it's still got that kind of vibe i would say it's not particularly bad but not too many masterpieces um i've done my best to include the best of each year on this list but i think 2010 2011 2012 those were filled with a lot of that that trend you know kind of paranormal jump scare filled um kind of haunting movie off of the back of movies like insidious and the conjuring um so we saw a lot of that but i think it really heated up as the decade went on yeah i can see that I, I definitely think, though, by the time we get into, like, 2013, 2014, things really started to heat up. I think mm -hmm. the middle to the end of the decade was really, really strong. So without further ado, let's jump into our list. And so, uh, folks, what we're going to do is we're going to go year by year, 2010 to 2019, and talk about our favorites from uh, our favorite from each year. And then we'll uh, throw out some honorable mentions. So. Without further ado, let's go right to 2010. So in 2010, what's your favorite movie of that year, buddy? My favorite movie from 2010 is Frozen. Not to be confused with the animated movie, the <laughs> horror movie, Frozen, I think directed by Adam Green, um, who was also involved in the Hatchet franchise. Uh, Frozen is, to put it succinctly, kind of a stranded narrative um it's a it's a, almost claustrophobic though paradoxically it's not you know confined at all the problem is that they're too out in the open um so it's got a lot of like man versus nature themes in it but it's also got some some horror horror comedy like more towards the beginning of the movie so if you're into that kind of thing i would recommend frozen i think it's the best of 2010 that's a strong one. I like Frozen a lot. I know Jay of the Dead loves that one uh, as well. And I'm a fan of the filmmaker. Um, I think he has a lot of fun with his movie. So I do like Frozen a lot. It's not my favorite of 2010. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite of 2010, and there's almost a theme with these, I'll go ahead and tell you, is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. <laughs> um, that's my favorite from 2010. I know that you and Jay would say it's a comedy first, and I get that. But man, it's got a lot of gore in it, and it's well, it's a lot of fun. Well, I would consider it a horror, a horror first, and then a, a comedy. Okay. Uh, and well, can I just talk about my 2011 now? My 2011. <laughs> my 2011 pick is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Okay. See, so okay. Then I messed up then because yeah. I I didn't. Well, no, no. Yeah. You're using the Letterboxd release, which I think it released in Canada and Europe, maybe the year prior. 
but it released in 2011 here in the U.S., uh, which is what I have down for it. And I love Tucker and Dale. I think that the horror elements are just as strong as the comedy elements. It's funny. It's uh, gory. It's just a good time. It's got lots of homages to your favorite horror movies, whether it be Texas Chainsaw Massacre or movies like Friday the 13th. It's got a lot of slasher in there. It's even got some psychological horror, and it teaches you a a lesson about compassion and, and not judging a book by its cover. So all good by the end of the day. I would recommend this to anybody. I mean, it's good for diehard horror fans because they'll get the references. And it's fun for, you know, just a general moviegoer because it's just a good time. Yeah, and I so that's a screw up on my part because I usually do try to go by when it when a film had its widest release. Like, you know, when we did our top 10 show a couple weeks ago, I had Anna and the Apocalypse in it because it did not get a wide release until 2019. It was all limited release until then. So I probably should place that in 2011. So maybe by the end of this podcast, I'll come back. And that was a screw up of mine. I just missed that for some for some reason, because that's typically what I do. But mm-hmm. I just missed it because, yeah, I love Tucker and Dale. I think it's just it's so much fun. Um uh, yeah, when we do our honorable mentions, I'll come back and talk about 2010. But I can see why with that that you put Frozen on there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are a couple from 2010, both good and bad, that we'll we'll talk about. So my 2011 probably would be Tucker and Dale versus Evil, and I'll have to go back and change to 2010. But for now, what I had on here, so maybe this is an honorable mention now, is Red State by Kevin Smith. And mm-hmm. that may actually be 2012. Actually, I think about that because I didn't check imdb because i was putting this list together yesterday because it's been a long busy week folks mm-hmm. um when you uh, you're a pastor and you have a suicide death at your church it's things get hairy and so it's been a long week but i'm a kevin smith fan i'm more of a fan of his podcast and him and his <laughs> and his his kind of uh i don't know what you would call them they're not ted talks they're not exactly stand up but they are great um but I, I, I do like a lot of his movies. A lot of them are problematic. <clears throat> Jersey Girl. Um, but I do think Red State's a really strong, strong movie with a great performance by Michael Parks as mm-hmm. the as the Fred Phelps kind of, you know, uh, preacher. So I'm going to have to go back and change that. But now looking at my notes, it's it's Red State for 2011 yeah. and yours is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Well, it looks like it did come out in the U.S in 2011 so you're good on red state and as far as the year like the release date goes down i mean it's totally it's basically subjective as to what you put down because letterbox imdb you know they all put different stuff if you're judging by u.s release date some states get it before other states so it's really just that general era um for each year and you can pretty much just put anything there it could have been tucker and dale it could have been red state um i'm sure frozen was released somewhere in 2011 so, um, <laughs> uh yeah so don't don't crucify us if we get our dates wrong right 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 so all right so this is going quick we've done 2010 2011 what have you got for 2012 my 2012 film is a movie called sinister starring ethan hawk ah, um good one. Which I hadn't seen until last year. 
surprisingly enough. I had heard really? about it. I thought maybe it was kind of just another one of those like insidious type movies, and I wasn't really interested in that. But then when I heard, you know, Ethan Hawke, and I saw the plot, which was way more interesting than I was anticipating, which is more of like almost a murder mystery with paranormal elements and cult elements in it. Uh, I had to give it a watch, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's really creepy and depressing, and uh, the standout feature are these home movies that you watch, which have, like, show tragedies unfolding and uh, this possibly demonic figure who's responsible for it all. And the way the story unfolds, did not see it coming at all, and my favorite type of movie is a movie that surprises me. So, 2012, Sinister. I, I can't argue with you. I think it's a great movie. Um, I remember seeing this again. For eight years, I traveled all over the United States. Sometimes I drug you along with me. and um, But this is most trips I took on my own. And, and, and I remember going to see this again, like at 11 o'clock at night showing. And I was in the theater by myself. That's creepy. And it was it was creepy. And it's it's a great movie. It's not my pick for 2012. My pick for 2012. And this is where I said where Tucker and Dale was kind of kind of showing my hand a little bit is Cabin in the Woods. I I love Cabin in the Woods. I absolutely adore this movie. I was a little um, disappointed after seeing it that so many uh, fellow horror fans online were like, this is terrible. It's making fun of horror. It's making fun. No, it's not. Joss Whedon loves horror. He's a big horror guy. This is an homage to horror. And especially you have that surprise cameo at the end, which is so mm-hmm. good. Um, even though, I, if I remember correctly, that wasn't their first pick. They wanted like Jamie Lee Curtis, which would have been great, too. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's the cast is good. It's so much fun. Um, so do you but it seems to like divide people's love or hate. Do you? Love or hate Cabin in the Woods. I do enjoy it. I think it's a it's a great movie. It didn't make my list, but you might see it in my honorable mentions. I think that this is m- more comedy than horror, but it's definitely not one I would exclude from a horror list just because it's got a lot of comedy in it. I would say the performances and the writing are the standout feature, but the visual homages to uh, horror classics, mostly in literature, actually, um, like uh like Edgar Allan Poe or uh, right. Lovecraft a lot of that was really fun to see on screen and to kind of look into the origins of all those references and it's just a fun time i mean it's it's a fun watch and um if you're looking to have fun with friends cabin in the woods is a movie for you oh absolutely i i love it and can we two of my favorite performances that didn't make my list so maybe i should bring this up later but Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins as the controllers are mm-hmm. amazing in this movie, are they not? Yeah, and I love the stereotypes that they cast. You know, the the teens in, uh, like Chris Evans and and all they, you know, they they kind of manipulate them to become the tropes that you usually see in horror movies. And I realize that maybe those tropes that we see in characters aren't that far off from how people are in real life. Really puts things in perspective. Oh yeah, hey, yeah. I love Cabin in the Woods. That's my 2012. Moving on to 2013, because we got a lot to cover. What's your pick for 2013? My 2013 pick is Oculus, which is a Mike Flanagan. Ooh, interesting pick, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, it was his first real feature, right? This first horror feature. I, I believe um, so, yeah. 
And what a debut. Like, man, this is a great way to break onto the scene with, you know, kind of a... I, I, I don't think it's, it's widely known by the general movie-going, you know, populace, but among horror fans, it's widely regarded to be one of the best kind of little low-budget, like, kind of one-location movies that really plays with your mind. It's one of those movies that you have to analyze what's going on. All is revealed by the end, but while while you're watching it, there's a great deal of confusion, and I like that. Yeah, it, it didn't make my list. I don't think it's his strongest film. I do like it. Mm-hmm. I, I do like the film. Um, you know, I have some problems with it, but I do like it. Um, my... 2013 is generally speaking when i hear about remakes i'm not a big fan um but in the last 20 years we've had some strong remakes um and when i heard this announced as a remake (laughs) i was not happy because i I can see where this is going yeah i was not happy at all i thought why would you remake that movie um, but then when I heard all the buzz, I went to see it and I was blown away. And that is the evil dead from 2013. I think it is so strong and I think it's just amazing. And I know that for Sam Raimi fans, that may be blasphemy, but I love the evil dead remake. What, what are mm-hmm. your thoughts on the evil dead remake? I do like it. I don't think it's as strong as the original, though. In the technical aspects, it's it's far superior. Um, I mean, this had a big budget. This was done mm-hmm. by professionals. The acting is really good. Um, when you look at the original Evil Dead, it's mostly about the concepts, the creativity, and the mood it creates. The acting overall pretty average, if not subpar. <laughs> and even though I love Bruce Campbell, he's not exactly what I would call Oscar-worthy in that movie. Lots of controversial scenes in that original thing. I think the reason people love it is because it's so um, do-it-yourself. I mean, these guys, these are just kids going out there making a movie uh, to scare people, and they succeeded. It created kind of a, you know, a franchise that people adore. So as far as the original goes, I think it's a classic, but I think the remake is technically superior. Now, would I rather watch the remake? No, because the remake is depressing. It's depressing. It's gory. <laughs> it makes me want, it makes me feel like I'm I'm bathing in mud or something. It's just so disgusting. But as far as a horror movie goes, that's exactly what you want. Yeah, it's not. It's a little like I said. It's it's a little out of my wheelhouse because typically. I don't like them remaking the movies I love. There are exceptions to that. Um, Cronenberg's The Fly is is incredible. Right. Um, there are exceptions, but typically I thing. don't. And The Thing, yeah. Typically, so there are those exceptions out there, and The Thing's in my top 10 list of all time. The Fly would be in my probably top 30 or so. But it, they just pulled it off so well. And it's like you said, yeah, it's not a movie I want to go revisit. Like, I can have fun with the original Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially Evil Dead 2, is, which is just a blast. Right. But yeah, this is not a movie. I think I've seen this twice, and you know, I recognize how good it is, but yeah, it is it is not like a fun movie. So right. that's my pick. Um, so now we move on to 2014, uh, which was a good year. Though 2015, mm-hmm. I can't wait to hear what you have for 2015, because I thought that was an amazing year. But for 2014, what's your pick? My 2014 pick is It Follows. Nice. Which, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it is kind of a Carpenter-esque, not a slasher per se, but just kind of a moody, 
um, 70s style thriller with a really interesting concept that I think scared the crap out of a lot of people. The idea that this creature is always following you no matter where you go. If you ever stop, it's catching up. You got to keep moving. And the only way to pass it on to somebody else is to have sex with them. So, but once it kills that person, it comes down the chain, you know, comes after you. That's a terrifying idea that no matter where you are, you're not safe. You got to be moving at all times. Um, and the soundtrack, which I'll talk about later, spoiler alert, uh, is absolutely amazing. I love that creepy synth wave soundtrack that it's got going for it. And the cinematography is gorgeous as well. So 2014, it follows. Nice pick. Nice pick. Yeah, we may, it didn't, it wasn't my pick, but we could be discussing it later as well. My 2014 pick is The Babadook. Yep. And I now, I understand if, if Dave, Dr. Shock Becker is listening, he goes, oh, that kid, that kid, <laughs> it's so annoying. He's very annoying, yeah. Um, agree, but I think that, I, I, I agree with that totally. I think that's the point, because you're yeah. thinking, there's no way this kid is is right. You know, there's no way this kid is... And so, but man, oh man, oh man, is I love the Babadook. Um, and it's actually our producer, editor, uh, uh, Megan, she actually loves the Babadook and she hates horror movies. So it's, it's a strong, strong film. What are your thoughts on the Babadook? I love the Babadook. Uh, it's absolutely terrifying and maddening and it makes me want to tear my hair out. It's not a movie I'll ever revisit because it's just so depressing. Um, even like the colors that are in the movie, it's all gray or very, very dark blue, um, very drab and depressing. That's the whole point. It's, it's a family drama at its heart with a lot of horror elements. I think it's similar to a, a 2016 or 2017 movie called Possum. Do you remember that movie? Or is it oh, yeah. 2018? I don't I had it in my, like, I had it in my 2018 list, okay. I think, possibly. Well, yeah. there you go, 2018. It's similar to that where it's kind of grungy and depressing and a little um, nonsensical in some of the scenes. It's, it's about visceral horror, not necessarily uh, like chronology, I guess. It doesn't tell a direct story in some parts. But if you're looking for something that'll kind of fry your brain, the Babadook is for you. Yeah, I, I love it. It's my pick. So, 2015, which mm -hmm. was a great year. Yep. What is your pick? My pick is The Witch, which is a period piece. Uh, the first movie by, is it Eggers? I don't know how to say his name. Breakout director. Yes. He's a breakout director uh, with The Lighthouse, you know, The Witch, I think are his only two big features that yeah. have surfaced. And they're both horror movie period pieces with extremely accurate details and uh, very minute little performances and, and uh, things about them that people can appreciate. But I think the thing that works best with his movies are the, the tone it sets, the mood, uh, and the, the, the atmosphere, where when you go into one of his movies, you're ready to be transported to this other world where you're going to be surrounded by depressing stuff absolutely like blood curdling imagery but also a lot of silence and a lot of time to sit and think about what you just saw so the witch is my pick for 2015 and i think you'll see another one of his works later on in my list and it is i can't fault you for that it didn't make my list i do love it though the performances are incredible absolutely mm -hmm. incredible so can't fault you for that 2015 was tough for me because i was like 
there were three movies that I was really throwing around. And my pick is for Bone Tomahawk, um, Western horror, um, which I missed the first time around. I don't think I saw it till like a year later on Amazon Prime. And incredible cast, Kurt Russell, Richard Jenkins again, David Arquette, Sid Haig. You know, it's absolutely um, incredible. Bone Tomahawk, if you haven't seen it, and looking at the box office receipts, you probably haven't. <laughs> um, Bone Tomahawk is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Have you seen Bone Tomahawk? I haven't seen it. I think it's been on my letterbox watch list for approximately two years now. I'll get around to seeing it eventually, but I've got so much I need to catch up on. It's like number 50 for me. But now that I know that it's your number one of 2015, it might take priority over a few other movies. And it was in close competition, but yeah, I love, I love Westerns. I love horror. I love Kurt Russell. I love Richard Jenkins. I love it, you know, and it's, it's got cannibalism. It's got, it's the last 30 minutes are just brutal. So I love Bone Tomahawk. Moving on to 2016. What's your pick? Well, I've got kind of an interesting pick here. 2016 is a tie between two movies. 10 Cloverfield Lane is the first movie, and the mm. other film is Raw, the French foreign film. That's mm. a tie there. Originally, 10 Cloverfield Lane would have taken it, but I rewatched Raw not too long ago, and I absolutely loved it. Not because of how I originally loved it, which was, oh, it's a zombie movie, which it really isn't. Um, it was more about the psychological aspects. And then 10 Cloverfield Lane, obviously, it's a sequel, but not really a sequel to Cloverfield. It's more of a spiritual successor in a few ways with the name attached to it. I think pretty much any bad robot production with J.J. Abrams attached to it is just a Cloverfield movie now. Um, but I loved it. It's kind of an escape narrative with great performances and characters in a claustrophobic setting and some sci-fi elements near the end, which are really interesting to dissect. But yeah, so 2016, 10 Cloverfield Lane and Raw. Yeah, I, I'm with you on 10 Cloverfield Lane, to be sure. Not a fan of Raw? It makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah, I can see why. <laughs> it, is a, it is a gross out movie in a few aspects. Um, but I would say it's just as gross out as Tucker and Dale. It's just taken seriously instead of for comic effect. Oh, man. Uh, it just... Ooh, it, it, yeah, Raw was just one of those movies that it didn't make my top 10 list that year that I included it, which I think I had it on 2018 or something because I, I think it didn't get a wide release till like 2018. But I, oh man, that movie, uh, it's my lunch is trying to keep it down just thinking about <laughs> it. Um, but I do, I do appreciate it more than I like it. But 10 Cloverfield Lane, I can't say anything but great things about and probably mention it again. But for 2016, my pick was Don't Breathe. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely adore this movie. I think Stephen Lang is is incredible. I think it's Jane Lynch, who is in both Freddy Alvarez movies, uh, Evil Dead and, and Don't Breathe. Mm -hmm. I love, love, love this movie. Yeah, I love it, too. It's... um. Later on, not not in my top ten list, but I will talk about it in some fashion. I do appreciate it. And when I saw it, it blew me away. Okay. So now we're moving on to 2017, which was also a very strong year. We saw movies like It, it Chapter One and so forth. What is your pick for 2017? 
I think I'm safe in saying that my pick is your pick, and that is Jordan Peele's Get Out. Yeah. Which I thought was probably one of the best debuts for any director ever. I mean, he just hit the scene with a complete cultural phenomenon in Get Out. It walks the line between horror, thriller, social commentary, comedy in some senses. Oh, yeah. And it's just all of his sensibilities are spot on. Amazing writing, amazing di- amazing directing, and the performances, you know, they can't be overstated how good they are. From, from top to bottom. Right, from the lead, from the... From the uh, comic relief from the creepy parents. I mean, everything is just perfect. It's it's a quick watch. It's not, it's not super long, but there's a lot to dissect with it, and I think it holds up to this day. Well, you called it. Yep, it's my pick. It's Get Out, and I'll go ahead and let the uh, uh, let it out of the bag. It's my favorite of the decade. It is in my top ten list of all time. It right now sits at number six in my top ten list of all time. I just think it's brilliant. As a former filmmaker, you watch it. My gosh, the attention to detail Mm -hmm. is incredible. Absolutely incredible. So, yeah, Get Out, of course, amazing. Best film of the decade. Let me say that again. Not just best horror film. Best (laughs) film of the decade. Get Out, in my opinion. So, 2018, your pick has I it think changed since we did our top 10 list. It might have. I don't remember what my 2018 top 10 list uh, consisted of, but it's Hereditary for me. For me. I mean, it's the, it was my fourth time watching Hereditary in preparation for this list, and it still affected me the same way it did the first time I saw it when it first was released. Um, this is another sort of like The Witch or... Um, Oculus or any movie we've talked about really so far, it's a family drama. Um, like the Babadook you were mentioning earlier, that's a, that's a movie I was trying to think of. It's a family drama with horror sprinkled throughout, and definitely towards the end, it's, it's just straight up horror, but it's mostly just depressing. It like pushes on, it makes you feel like you can't breathe the entire movie, it just constricts on your chest more and more as so you're like, oh man, this poor family. Uh, things just get worse and worse until you kind of delve into madness in the last 10 minutes well your pick hasn't changed and neither is mine it's hereditary even though i've only seen this movie once oh really? and i'm not sure if i'll ever watch it again because yep. it's so disturbing you. it's mm-hmm. not you know and this is coming from a guy who loves the remake of the evil dead but it's just it, my gosh as a you know as a parent and as a it's just so disturbing i mean it's just but it's brilliant. It's absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant. So, yeah, I'm with you. My 2018 is hereditary. And we just did our top 10 list 2019 a couple weeks ago. So if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. Pause. But we're going to let the cat out of the bag again. Your pick for 2019 is? The Lighthouse. Another uh, Eggers movie. Is it Robert Eggers or Roger Eggers? It's Robert. Robert Robert. Eggers. There we go. Okay, so The Lighthouse, follow-up to The Witch. It's his uh, sophomore attempt, and it definitely does not hit that slump. I think in some aspects it's better than The Witch. In some aspects it's it's um, just about the same. But I think it, it's completely on its own kind of – it's in its own subgenre as this really weird period piece shot with, like, time-appropriate lenses and stuff and, and a weird aspect ratio with weird accents and writing. It's just a, kind of like a portal into another world, and I love it for that. 
Yeah, it did make my list. It is in my top 10. I do appreciate it more than I like it because as a former wannabe filmmaker, it's pretty impressive to watch, especially the mm -hmm. performances. Um, my pick for 2019, guys, if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm a fanboy. It's Jordan Peele's Us. Again, the attention to detail in the screenplay, in the making of the film, it's just incredible. The cinematography, the score, everything about Us is incredible. Yeah, I, I like we talked about, again, on our top 10 list of 2019. I appreciate Us. It was on my list, too. I think it was seven or eight. Um, and I didn't like it as much as Get Out, but I think that's because I haven't had as much time to brew on it. And it's kind of divisive among horror fans because the twist or and the twists, I guess, plural that uh, that happened in the movie are pretty divisive. You know, was it deserved? But I think upon rewatch, it, they are deserving. They are set up. You just really have to look for it. Yeah, I agree. And I've seen it several times since I own it. Um, you know, with all due respect to Jay of the Dead, who we love, he called it overrated. But he also said Tigers Are Not Afraid is overrated. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry, just respectfully disagree. Love both of those movies. But Us is just, it's a masterpiece. I think it's honestly, um, if you've ever tried to make films, write screenplays, and you go back and you notice so many Easter eggs and so many, even things just in the production design that he insisted on. I mean, that give you clues to what's going on and what it's really about. Us is, to me, a masterpiece, an absolute masterpiece. So those are our picks, but we're not done. We've got a lot more nope. to talk about. Mm -hmm. Shall we do our honorable mentions? Yes, let's. These are these these are movies that didn't make our list, but we acknowledge are some of the best movies of the decade, um, in no particular order. I'm not I'm not listing these by year per se. I'm just listing off of a few: A Quiet Place, Don't Breathe, Train to Busan, Babadook, and Cabin in the Woods. Those are my honorable mentions. They don't fit anywhere particularly for me on this list, but they all are worthy of your viewing. Um, and I think that maybe in a few years' time, I could consider putting them on the list somewhere. Yeah, and I'm going to call this an honorable mention, but since I screwed up 2010 and maybe another one, um, looking back at 2010, it's a tough year. I love Frozen. I love The Last Exorcism. I love Stakeland, but I'd have to go with Let Me In. And mm -hmm. even though Let Me In... Uh, I let the right one in is a better film. I still think let me in is an incredible movie. I thought both of them are great. So is that the American remake? Yeah, that's the American gotcha. remake with Chloe Grace Moritz as the, as the vampire and, and, mm -hmm. and so forth. So I, it's absolutely and Richard Jenkins is that too. This is becoming a theme. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, and so, but that's, that's what I would put in 2000. 10 but any other honorable mentions you have there uh i think that's it i might think of something later maybe gerald's game which is one of the best Stephen King adaptations i think we can all agree um I, I that's just another flanagan movie i mean he has done some amazing work with adapting stuff and making his own original stuff like um is that house on house on haunted hill is that the haunting of yes. hill house haunting there of hill go. house yeah incredible uh, which is what I hear. I haven't seen it yet. One of the best horror series of all time. So I'll have to look into that. 
Um, but he's doing a great job. I think that's it for my honorable mentions. I'm sure there are 20, 30 others I can think of. If I do think of them, I'll be sure to put them out on Twitter, you know, you know, like kind of a amendment to my list here, but uh, that's go. all I can think of for right now. I have, I could do just honorable mentions. One, it follows, which is one of yours. That's, mm-hmm. that's on my honorable mentions. 10 Cloverfield Lane is on my honorable mentions. Um, Creep was one from Mark Duplass that I thought mm-hmm. was underrated, but I could go on and on. The Final Girls, What We Do in the Shadows. There are some really strong movies over the last 10 years that deserve some love. But speaking of those that don't deserve some love, what are your worst yes. movies of the decade? Uh, so I have a top three worst films of the decade, you know, from <laughs> least offensive on the list to most offensive. And uh, they go like this. So number three is one that's not traditionally thought of as a, as a horror movie, but it, it's but Google lists it as a horror movie. So I thought I would put it on here because I hated this movie. It's Scary Movie 5. Um, oh, yeah, I hate those Scary movies. Movie in general is just a, a kind of a lazy. It's, it saw what Scream did. Uh, which was kind of satirize the horror genre in a clever way, and it was like, let's make like seventy of those, and they're not they're not funny, and we're kind of picking back piggybacking off of Scream success. So, Scary Movie Five, I think it has a whopping four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's my number three worst of the decade. Well, Scary um, Movie, the Scary Movies, really, what they're trying to do is to, is to do for horror movies what. Airplane and Airplane 2 did for disaster movies. Mm-hmm. The problem is they're more like Airplane 2 than Airplane 1, which is the <laughs> funny one. And that's right. the problem. Yeah. Keep going, buddy. So my number two is Leprechaun Origins, which I think is, uh, other than the sequel we got recently, it was the second most you know, uh, recent entry in the Leprechaun series. And it's kind of a remake, or not really. It just uses the name Leprechaun. And, you know, kind of piggybacks off of that. It's a WWE film, meaning that it was financed by, you know, the, the wrestling league. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, it's not scary. The leprechaun isn't the leprechaun. It's some weird dog creature who sees in predator vision. And all the acting is average to subpar. So that was my number two. I mean, the leprechaun movies have a bad track record in general, but that was probably the most offensive. And then my number one is Human Centipede 2, which I think is probably the grossest, most disgusting and vile movie I've ever laid eyes on. It's just offensive to be offensive. Um, It's not funny in the parts where it's supposed to be a little comical. It's not really scary. It's just disturbing and gross. Like, I don't want to look at this. It's uh, pretty... I don't, I don't even know. I just feel revolt. Like I don't, I don't even know what I'm saying. I just don't want to talk about this movie anymore. I get it. They're disgusting. Um, (laughs) and so on my top three, my three worst picks, and I have this as my number three on my list, any of the human centipede sequels. Um, I hate them all. I hate the human centipede movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I hate them more than I even hate Wolf Creek. I hate, hate, hate the Human Centipede. Well, film. here's the here's the thing for me. Human Centipede one, I don't love it, but it isn't terrible. I think there are some good ideas. 
I admire the fact that everybody was having a fun time on set, as much fun as you can have with a movie like this. But they all felt like they were treated well. You don't see that much, like, revolting stuff on screen. Um, it's more psychological and than body horror, like the later movies are. Um, but I still wouldn't call it a masterpiece. I would give it maybe a 6.5 to a 7 out of 10. Now, the later Human Centipede movies are just gross uh, and vile to be gross and vile. So stay away from those. Yeah, they're, I just think they're all awful myself. But those that's my number three. Any of the Human Centipede sequels for a tie. My number two is the remake of Sorry Jay. A Nightmare on Elm Street from <laughs> 2010, which should have worked. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. all for Jackie Early being Freddy, but it just, nothing about it was compelling. I, I mean, it yep. just, it's just so underwhelmed. So I just say it, it's boring. It's yep. a boring movie. I think it has to do with the script and the acting from everyone except for Jackie Earl Haley. I thought he was great as Freddy. They just don't have a lot of standout moments with him. He looks right. His attitude is right. Um, but they don't utilize him well. And all of the leads are just not interesting. The things they do with Fred Krueger with all the flashbacks, I wasn't really that interested in. And the ending is just unsatisfying. Well, and all the actors just seem bored. I mean, mm-hmm. they all just seem bored to tears. So that's my number two is Nightmare on Elm Street. My number one is from uh, two years ago. Day of the Dead Bloodline, <laughs> which, goodness sakes, this is what the second remake of Day of the Dead, and they're both terrible. But this one is you have a rapist zombie. I mean, it's just awful. It's just, it's so bad. And unfortunately, in 2018, it was the first horror movie I saw. I was like, oh, this is Eight. not, not great. So, and it's good introduction. Oh, man, it was horrendous. So, all right, let's move on to talk about something um, positive. less depressing. Let's talk yeah. about, yeah, let's talk about some positives. So where do you want to go next for our next category here? Well, we've got a lot of categories to choose from, a, a few fun kind of categories. Uh, the one I want to start with, just to kind of warm us up, are the top three scripts, the top three, you know, best written horror movies of the 2010s, because I think that um, what we'll talk about later, which are performances and soundtracks, you know, those become you know not relevant if the writing is terrible overall it just can't be an enjoyable movie in my opinion um so top three scripts i'll start with my number three which is the babadook one that you mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier in your list i think the writing is really strong it's depressing it's understated but the the dialogue i think is really realistic makes you feel for the characters and yeah that kid is so annoying the way they write him to just scream all the time and everything he says just gets on your nerves and then you realize maybe he's the only sane one in the family yeah that's that's yeah that's what i love about that screenplay yeah absolutely so what do you got your number two screenplay Mm -hmm. My number two is Gerald's Game, because uh, a lot of that movie, a lot of Gerald's Game relies on the script and the performances for pretty much all of it. I mean, you're in one setting, a bedroom, for pretty much 90% of the, of the screen time, and all you've got are the characters, or the character, really, talking, um, 
and that dialogue is just really interesting. Shows us a lot about the characters. It's revealed in flashbacks, like their backstory, but that's from the characters' perspective um, and written as they would remember it. So lots of interesting stuff there. I haven't read the book or the short story, rather, that it's based on, but I'm interested in reading it to see how faithful it is. It's pretty faithful if memory serves. Now, I haven't read it since the early 90s, early or mid-90s, but it, mm-hmm. I remember it being pretty faithful. But no, good pick. I can't argue with that. Gerald's game is good. Well, and my number mem- one, yeah, my number one pick uh, is probably not going to be on your list. I'm not sure because um, it's one that I originally didn't think would be on my top three writing lists. Uh, but uh, that's It Comes at Night. I don't know what you think really? of this movie. Yeah, It Comes at Night is one that I saw really late. I don't even remember if I saw it the year it came out. I may have, but it didn't really hit me until recently that that entire movie pretty much relies on ambience in the writing to kind of sell you what this movie is about because you're kind of tossed into it and from what the characters are talking about, what they do, and how they describe the outside world, that's all the information you have. Um, You don't get a lot of world building outside of that, and I think that's amazing that it can build such suspense with just the threat of a threat. Okay. Interesting choice. Um, I did like the movie. I don't Mm -hmm. hate it. Um, I know horror fans generally hate it just simply because it was so mismarketed. Right. It was marketed very poorly. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I think the head of marketing for that film never actually watched the movie. Um, It's so that's the problem with it. But but I don't think it's a bad film. Um, but as far as screenplays go, you know, what I pay attention to is what we've talked about is you can tell if a screenwriter has knocked something out in two weeks, as some people have had to, or whether or not they have spent a lot of time thinking about something and really putting notes together and thinking through it and so forth. So my top three screenplays, number three, Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, love this movie. Thought it was a great screenplay, good dialogue. I, I just think it works. I think that as a commentary on millennials, which is what mm-hmm. I think it is in the end, I think it's very interesting. Um, masked as a horror comedy, I think it's, uh, um, you know, it, 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 Cabin in the Woods had been made in the 1940s. There'd have been absolutely no question, spoiler alert, for the ending. They would have sacrificed themselves to save humanity. Right. But I think Joss Whedon is trying to say, wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, but would millennials? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, exactly. Um, and so I think that's interesting. So I love Cabin in the Woods. That's my number three. My number two is one we just talked about, which is Us by Jordan Peele. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And a commentary, again, on so many different levels. It's commenting on limousine liberalism. It's commenting on, you know, the kind of idea that if you hashtag something, then you've actually accomplished something that, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. That, um, but it's also going in commentary on the kind of the dark side of our own personalities and so forth. I just think it's, you know, and I think it's also funny that he just put bunnies in there because he's scared of bunnies because he thinks they're. <laughs> The Michael Myers of the animal world. I think I just think that's funny. Um, and I love, love us. And my number one will not surprise you again by the same man. It's get out. Can't argue think? with your list. I can't argue with it. Um, 
Jordan Peele is one of the most talented writers, not only in horror, but also in comedy, obviously. Key and Peele, um, one of the most world-renowned comedy duos of this age. And Jordan Peele has shown himself to be skilled in many different facets. I mean, each of his movies, Get Out and Us so far, have so many different genres blended into them that it shows a lot of versatility from him as a writer so i can't argue with your with your last two picks um can't argue with anything on your list so far i mean we pretty much have the same taste when it comes to movies it's just what will edge the other movie out right right and i and i can't wait to see what jordan does in the future being such a horror fan and yeah even if you're a horror movie fan you may not be a comedy fan. We talked about this on our Jordan Peele episode. Go back and watch the horror skits, the horror comedy skits from Key and Peele. I mean, mm-hmm. Gremlins 2 alone is <laughs> yep. fantastic. You and know? it's true. Gremlins 2 is a weird movie. They must have come up with that on Coke. <laughs> or something. But yeah, the Gremlins 2 skit, the zombie skit, the alien invasion skit, they're, they're fantastic. So, all right. What category do we have up next, buddy? Well, next I want to talk about soundtracks, because music is sometimes left by the wayside when people are discussing film. Um, It's kind of more commonly accepted that directors and uh, actors and writers make a movie, when in reality, soundtracks add a lot to your experience as a filmgoer, and they they can often make or break your opinions on a movie. So, my top three soundtracks, I want to start with my number three, and that's a movie I talked about earlier, It Follows, which has a beautiful Carpenter-esque synth soundtrack. It's got lots of sinister bass in it and some kind of piercing mm-hmm. um, you know, high notes. It's, it's unrelenting. When you hear that, that theme, you kind of get a shiver down your spine because you know something's about to go down, and it's a good way to let you know when the thing is getting close so almost it's like it's almost like the the auditory version of the hair standing up on the back of your neck when you hear the scents start to come in um so great use of music and it follows my number two pick uh, much the same i would say is get out yes. which has which has a soundtrack that's kind of more minimalist it has music in the beginning it has music in the end some hints at a soundtrack and some scenes but um for the most part it's only used when it's impactful there's never filler music it's only used whenever it's trying to create a mood i think of the opening with that long one shot uh and the slow creeping music that starts to come in you know that old kind of creepy 1940s 1950s music um, and then later we have some more tribal music kind of the kind of sounding thing. And we have a mm-hmm. track by Childish Gambino, funnily enough. And then later, by the end of the movie, we have more traditional soundtrack elements, but a good blend of all different types of music in one movie kind of reflects the, the genre blending that's happening in Get Out. And then my number one is one that you wouldn't expect. Maybe that's Midsummer. The ah. soundtrack of this movie, one of the most disturbing collection of sounds i've ever heard in my life it's just jarring and it makes your stomach kind of sink and it's disheartening all over but it succeeds at everything it sets out to do oh i can't argue with your list um because both hereditary and midsummer were in contention so was it follows 
Um, I love all of those scores. And I'm not a score guy like you are. You're the musician. I'm the recovering musician. <laughs> so it's not, you know, I haven't played regularly in, in since the 90s. So, um, but so w- the ones that I picked out were just ones that s- struck me just kind of off the top of my head where I was like, and so that's why this number three comes in, because if you understand that the original score for the original movie was my is my all time favorite, it's Halloween 2018. I love what John Carpenter and his son and, and all that kind of stuff did with the original Halloween score and kind of updated it and added some feeling to it. I really liked Halloween 2018, the score. Mm-hmm. And so what are your thoughts? Because you're the musician. Well, Halloween as a series has always had a really strong, a really strong soundtrack, um, and I think that's mostly because of the example that was set with the first Halloween, with that really creepy, really sinister um, uh, synth soundtrack. It's it's creeping up on you. It's it's like it's about to pounce on you at any second. It's jarring. It kind of plays with your with your emotions. Um, and then all over, like like the shape soundtrack. I mean the the shape theme. Um, iconic stuff that when you hear it, you can see the movie in your head. And I think Halloween 2018 utilizes new soundtrack elements and uh, recalls old soundtrack elements to create the ultimate horror soundtrack. I would agree with you. It should have made my list, but I just think it follows Get Out Midsummer edged it out. Those are all great. I can't argue with you because my number two is a tie. They're both by the same person and the same filmmaker. It's Us and Get Out by Michael Abels. It's they're incredible scores. Mm-hmm. And both yeah. of those both of those movies utilize real world, world like music cues, real tracks that you would hear on the radio. But now when you hear them, you think of those movies and you think of the songs in a different light because they've been used in really creepy scenes. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think yeah, the, they they utilize it very very well. And Michael Abels was discovered by Jordan Peele, unlike Spotify. He'd never done a film score before. I mean, that's incredible. My number one is uh, possibly, I think, this gentleman's last score because I think he died while this movie was in post-production, and that is Mandy by Johan Johansson, which mm-hmm. I think is an incredible score. Yeah, no, can't can't disagree with you there. That was one of the things that um, struck me most about Mandy. Um, that was the soundtrack because... It's got elements of heavy metal. It's got elements of, of sense, like kind of a rush sound almost. But then it's yeah. also got really dark, creepy, unsettling soundtrack elements during the, the horror, kind of more Lovecraftian scenes almost in that movie. Um, and then there's kind of action cues um, throughout the soundtrack. So just a, very, a varied soundtrack, and I think those are always the best. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And an underrated film, I think. I think it's just mm-hmm. a, absolutely amazing. So, and by the way, you, you mentioned Rush. So, R.I.P. Neagle. Uh, yeah, we lost absolutely. one of the greatest drummers of all time this week. So, mm-hmm. uh, heart wrenching. So, all right. So, what's our next category, buddy? Well, next, I wanted to talk about the MVPs of acting, which is hotly contested i'm sure by a lot of people this was a great decade for acting overall we had some of the best performances of all time not just in horror cinema but in cinema in general um and i wanted to talk about our top three i have some that will probably be controversial maybe um one that'll be controversial one that'll be controversial because of the placing but i just kind of want to dive right into it with my number three which is nicholas cage my number three mvp of acting 
who is not known traditionally as a 100% amazing actor, more as a terrible actor who sometimes has genius roles. Um, <laughs> but I think this decade, with horror in, in, in particular, he's done a really good job. Mom and Dad and Mandy are the two standout roles for me. Um, and he's reined it in to a certain extent, but then in some scenes in both of those movies, he absolutely just lets it ride. I mean, he's got that crazy Nicolas Cage spirit coming out, you know, that, that classic kiss of a vampire, um, con air, kind of weird, wacky attitude coming out towards the end of those movies generally. But I think he does give some really heart-wrenching emotional uh, performances in those movies as well. No, I, I completely agree. And so, yeah, there's a scene in Mandy. Nicholas Cage did not make my list, though I agree both of those roles were perfect for him. But there's a scene in Mandy early on. We learn later that his character is an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic. And one of his coworkers offers him a beer and he turns it down. But the look of like sorrow on his face is mm-hmm. just like, wow. So it's I know I think I can't fault you for that for for Nick Cage, for especially for mom and dad and Mandy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my number two is James McAvoy for Split, mm-hmm. Glass, and It Chapter 2. Um, it's been a great decade for him as well, not just in horror. I mean, obviously, he's Professor Professor X in the X-Men series as of late. Um, Split, I think he has one of the most impressive performances of any, any actor or actress throughout the decade. Him being able to switch between all of those personalities, you know, at the snap of a finger, while also retaining all of their character traits, reading the dialogue, remembering it all, kind of being in the scene and present and emotionally distressing to the other characters. It's amazing. And he carried that over to Glass. I think he was one of the best parts of that movie as well. Um, obviously, Samuel Jackson was was kind of more, he had a more minimalist performance where he was kind of a blank slate for a lot of it, but then really came through near the end. And um, obviously in that movie as well. But James McAvoy, he's my number two pick. My number one pick is Tony Collette for pretty much the movie Hereditary solely. I mean, that movie is enough to make you realize why she's my number one. She gives some of the most heart-wrenching, the most scary performance. Like, the scenes she's in... Doesn't matter what mood she's in, she's absolutely captivating. I mean, obviously, she's done a lot for the genre already. She was in The Sixth Sense. She's in, um, like, a bunch of movies that really added to the genre in the the filmmaking scene just in general. She's a legend. But this, I think, is her most acclaimed um, performance by fans. And she absolutely got snubbed in the awards for her performance and hereditary if you go back and watch those quotes on youtube you might cry you might shiver i don't know it'll make you feel something yeah i can't argue with your list at, at all i think that's a strong list uh for me the mvp uh for this decade the three first of all we got to start off with well tony collette and mm-hmm. it's she's strong in everything but uh hereditary robbed of an oscar for that she should have had not just a nomination she should have had an oscar for hereditary she's absolutely incredible and it's one of the best performances of the decade in any film um and so shame on you oscars for doing that but it is so amazing and so yep tony collette also she's great in velvet buzzsaw she's i mean Mm -hmm. she's great in everything 
So, yep, Tony Collette's my number three. And, you know, the, the fact that she keeps doing horror, let's give her props for that, because a lot, not a lot of actors will do that. She's been doing horror for at least 20 years now, going back, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah, you go all the way back to The Sixth Sense in 1999. Right. And so, you know, thank God for Tony Collette. Um, she is incredible. Another person who made my list, my number two, is also doing a lot of horror, at least lately, and I hope she continues doing it. That's Lupita Nyong'o. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Little Monsters and, and um, she, Us and, and so forth. And, you know, she's, and again, in all likelihood, the Oscars will be announced, what, I think tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. By the time this podcast is dropped, the Oscar nominations will be announced. If the Golden Globes are any indication, Lupita will be snubbed. And for the second straight year, the Oscars have missed an incredible performance because of their prejudice against horror films. And because there's no other reason for it. That's true, but I'm thinking maybe us will get something because of Get Out. It won Best Screenplay at the Oscars, but that might not be any indication of what will happen with the actors or the directors or whatever. Yeah, with the exception of Parasite, it just doesn't appear mm-hmm. like the like any uh, any critics or the Academy is going to give much love to horror movies this year. You know, we thought back in 2017 that, oh, you know, Shape of Water is nominated for you know, wins best picture, get out and it won like, yeah. And it won like seven awards and get out one best screenplay. And we're like, wow, golden age for horror is now coming through to the awards. And then nope, 2018 and, and 2019 now are going to prove us wrong. Which is just, I mean, what in the world? I mean, and with all due respect to the Academy, once upon a time when I was less busy and, and was, you know, more of a film buff than I am now, I had every single Academy Award winning picture memorized by year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could ask me and I could tell you, ask, throw out a year, I could tell you what movie won that year. Um, I can't remember anything the last five years. <laughs> you know, yep. I mean, I know Shape of Water, but other than that, I don't know, because, it, you know, they're just becoming, you know, they're just becoming too too blah i don't i don't know i don't get it but my mvp for acting in this decade is and we've brought him up before it's richard jenkins and it's for shape of water it's for bone tomahawk it's for cabin in the woods it's for Mm -hmm. let me in you know it's over and over and over again um you know it's He's just done, an, you know, an inc- he's an incredible actor. He's an underrated actor. But again, this is a guy who at this point in his career, he's recognized as one of the best, especially supporting actors. He's not given a lot of lead roles, but considered one of the best supporting actors. And he continues to do horror movies. God mm-hmm. bless the man. So my number one is Richard Jenkins. Yep, I can respect that. I mean, obviously, yeah, he's a supporting player in so many classics, um, and he appreciates the genre, obviously, all that it's done for him, and um, you know the amount of amazing cult classics he's been in because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, that list, in combination with mine, you can really get an idea of who the major players of this decade were, who contributed the most, um, whether it be through acting, soundtracks scripts i mean we have had a really strong year for movies in every aspect a really strong decade too um but i would say that 2020 is looking hopeful 
Um, I'm I'm wondering where the 2020s will go. Uh, there's room to go up, but I mean, there is also room to go down. I would say that the 80s to the 90s, we saw a little bit of a dip in quality. So I'm wondering what will happen. I'm anticipating that greatly. That's all the lists I have for this episode. But I'm greatly looking forward to making our 2010 top 10 list. So do you... 2012 or whatever, you know, 2020. 2020, yeah. When I look at 2020, I'm not as jazzed. There are a few things out there that I obviously will see. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why I avoid, I avoid trailers, because if there's a movie that I know I'm going to see, I don't watch the trailer. So I, you mm-hmm. know, you and I both know we're going to see Halloween Kills. Right, of course. When it drops. Um, I'm definitely going to see Candyman. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, Jordan Peele's producing and helped write the script, so I'm, I'm gonna, definitely going to see Candyman. <laughs> um, but other than that, I'm hoping that's the independence that gives us a good 2020, because looking at what the major studios are putting out there, uh, not that jazzed. And right. Everything I hear about the grudge so far is don't waste yeah, not, time. Not good. Not good. Yeah. I'm not not going to see that movie, but I am excited to see what indie movies will be coming out because I do have a couple of anticipated ones. Um, some Blumhouse movies, some studios I've never heard of. I think it'll it'll at least be on par with 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 2019 based on what I'm seeing already. Though I could be proven wrong in either direction, you know, for better or for worse. But uh, I guess we'll see. Well, folks, that's our decade uh, episode, and we thank you for listening. Uh, please follow us over at Twitter at Father and Son Watch Horror and rate and review us on iTunes. We would appreciate a five star review. Uh, we plan on having more guests and a lot of fun this year. Uh, we have some anniversaries coming up. So mm-hmm. some films like The Shining has, you know, got an anniversary and Misery. And so, you know, who knows? We may pop those in. Those might be good winter fare. Who knows what we'll be coming up with over the next few months. We've also talked about going off script once again, as we did for Tarantino movies, to talk about perhaps the Coen Brothers movies, you know, at some point. So stick around. I've had a, lot, a few people actually asked to be on that show, on the Coen Brothers mm-hmm. Show. We will try to make that happen. If you'd like to be on the show, let us know. We were we were hoping uh, last uh, was it a week and a half ago on Friday mm-hmm. to have Dino on and uh, from the Huh podcast, but we weren't <laughs> able to make it happen. But we hope to have him on again soon. So, folks, and, and we're a year old now, and in a year. We're at more than 22,000 listeners per episode and growing, uh, which we never anticipated. And because of that, and because this young man that you're listening to will be going to film school not too far (laughs) in the future and will be a starving student, um, we will be launching a Patreon thing so that, uh, and uh, so I can go ahead and say that if you become a Patreon uh, supporter when that drops, hopefully here in the next couple months, all proceeds will go to a starving horror filmmaker. <laughs> um, so that's what we'll be doing. We had a great 2019. It was a lot of fun. I thought it was a really strong year for horror. Jackson, you and I got to vi- uh, visit film sets. Oh, yeah. You know, we just got back, you know, Night of, the, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, the originals. That was a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll get to do that again this year, scope out some more film sets. So. Yeah, we just appreciate all the love, 
And where can people find you, Jackson? Well, on Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero12. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. I also have a YouTube channel, and that is in the, the description of both of those profiles. All righty. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd as Pastor Matt R. And, of course, I, I forgot to mention we also have, along with Father and Son Watch Horror on Twitter, we do have an Instagram page and a closed Facebook page and a blog that we occasionally get to depending on how hectic our schedules are. So that's where we are. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to the good people, Jackson. Goodbye. And remember to see as much horror as you can this decade because it won't be long until you're making your top 10 of 2020s list. That's right. And so, folks, remember, the family that watches horror together stays together. See you next time.